0: Welcome to the Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybeal, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club.
1: Now, here's John. Hey, welcome to the Autobahn Country Club Podcast, and today we are joined with a special co-host, producer Mark McFarland. So let's welcome Mark to the show. <laughs> I
2: can hear you like crystal clear, like you're sitting right next to me having a martini.
1: Uh, I do like your martinis.
2: And, it, you know, being that it's only 1030 in the morning um, and none of us are doing anything,
1: what's wrong with drinking? Well, I guess when you put it like that, uh, <laughs> well, hey, it's uh, April, Tuesday, April. April 28th. Yep. It's beautiful where I am. I am uh, at my farm in uh, outside of Bloomington, Illinois, a town called Leroy or Leroy. Yes. Where are you?
2: I am not at a farm. I'm at my s- small little plot of land in Bolingbrook, Illinois, uh, a lovely 27 minutes, 26 minutes away from the track.
1: Uh, envious. Envious. Yes,
2: it makes the drive easy, and uh, I'm doing the exciting things of, like, cleaning my grill grates right now inside my self-cleaning oven,
1: therefore making the whole house look like it's on fire. And smell like it's on fire.
2: Yes, yes. Just don't open the door because it starts a backdraft and fire and think bad things happen. So how you been, my friend?
1: Oh, speaking of that, uh, so I walked out to our fifth wheel camper that's usually at the track is in my driveway. And I walked out the other day, my um, son had, uh, my nephew was over and I walked in and they said, we're going to the party camper. And I didn't know what that meant. Uh, And I hadn't seen it for a while. So I walked into the camper and they had a smoke machine going. The entire (laughs) camper was engulfed in smoke. And uh, they were playing loud music and playing video – playing loud music and playing video games simultaneously in a smoke-filled camper. <sighs> Got to love children these days. I didn't. I, I, I don't know what to say. I just don't know what
2: to say. <laughs> to that. Hey, at least, you know, at least they're not lighting the place on fire. Just making it look like it's on fire.
1: And smell like it's on fire. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: then, well, you know, that's what all the kids are doing right now. All they're doing is sitting around playing video games and, you know, working two or three hours on schoolwork.
1: Boy, you're two or three hours. You're getting that much out of your son. <laughs> awesome.
2: Well, because well, we, we chain him down to the
1: chair, you know, and then
2: put a strap around his head and then just tape the iPad about six inches away from his face. So, you know, it just it goes through osmosis and through his eyeballs. And we, you know, tape his eyes
1: open too. <laughs> um i should try that <clears throat> i'm gonna try that i'm gonna try that it's a good feature it's a good feature
2: so so what do we got on the docket for the uh the podcast this week
1: well a interview with tony kester driving instructor extraordinaire from the audubon country club we did a interview the first year first season with tony on his background you Go back and uh, uh, look at that um, that interview. I think it was number six. I think something around number six, episode number six, and listen to that to get a uh, some background on Tony and exactly where he came from and all his credentials that go along that go along with that, which are are pretty extensive. And okay. um, he's he's been uh, pretty. Um, instrumental i think in the education of the drivers at the club I and mean, he's a, he's a blast to work with so we're going to talk to him specifically about how to go about getting a new car where to look to find a new car uh inspections you know what to a think new about.
2: car a new car for the track not like just going out to your local chevy dealership and purchasing a new c8
1: corvette That is correct. We did not talk about (laughs) purchasing a new (laughs) CA Corvette uh, or uh, many of the other new cars that would be fantastic on the track. Yeah, this is specifically race car type stuff. You know, used race cars, brand new race cars, I guess, kind of a little bit. Um, He kind of gives his uh, opinion of, well, I don't want to steal the
2: show. Well, no, we don't want you to steal the show because we want people to listen to the show.
1: Right, uh, so it's we did it just a couple weeks ago, so okay. we, we were as we are still on April twenty eighth and stay at home mode. Uh, so we did it via Skype, and uh, as we are doing right now. Do you have birds? Do you have birds singing in the background? Isn't it a pretty thing? I'm sitting on my deck, and you've been oh, on my deck. Oh my gosh, your deck is amazing. Talk about a warm, welcoming environment. It's very cozy. And... and I don't know. I have all these trees with the
2: white flowers that, you know, make your eyes water. And there are literally about 40 robins, like just attacking each other. I don't know what they're doing. I'm not going to go into that. But so, um, yeah, it can you really pick up? Wow, my microphone's really good today that you can pick up the birds singing.
1: Yeah, it's it sounds amazing. We a, well, then
2: I, I can go inside. I can go inside. No, so I hear I, the
1: birds. No, I like it. Oh, I, I, oh. Uh, yeah, I it's think a new
2: musical it, background. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, it, it's great. I have a hog farm about a mile away, and so I can't really open up my window, especially when the wind's coming from the north.
2: Ooh, I just it's bought right a whole there. pig, by the way. Um, friend of
1: mine was having they they own a
2: cattle ranch out in North Dakota, and the pig farmer down the street from him was going to have to slaughter about eighty percent of his pigs because yeah. of the COVID issues, um, because he couldn't sell the pigs. So they were giving the pigs away for free, and all you had to do was pay for the butchering.
1: Yeah, it's pretty sta- pretty sad. You can't stop the the, the, the growth of <laughs> pigs. So when you, when, <laughs> once they're already in the door, you can't uh you can turn up the heat, I guess, and kind of slow down a little bit of the how much they eat. But yeah, so
2: cool. Well, let's go back to cars. So Yeah,
1: Tony Kester, you, that did, interview was number nine. Uh, episode number nine, first season okay. number nine. I just what number out. are we up to now? I believe this is going to be thirty eight. Thirty-eight. Okay. 38? So almost
2: thirty episodes ago, we heard last heard from Tony Kester.
1: Yeah. So he really That's he was a good. A, that's a good percentage for Tony. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, without uh, further ado, here's Tony Kester on the Audubon Country Club podcast. Do I say, I say further ado too often? That's okay. Well, Tony Kester, welcome to the Audubon Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm happy to be here. April 16th, we're both um, homebound. I, I take it that uh, uh, where exactly are you?
0: I'm in the great metropolis of Elwood, Illinois. Oh, so you're super close to the track. Yeah, about a mile at the crow flies, mile and a half. But you know, it takes four miles to get there. But I'm close
1: might as well be a thousand miles. Well <laughs> at at this point, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I I assume you're I mean we're all trying to stay busy. What what is it, you got anything that's you're any projects or something exactly you've been doing or taking up your time? Are you working on cars or what exactly are you doing?
0: Well, we're doing a lot of work, uh, trying to revamp all our programs and everything just to get the Autobahn going <laughs> under the you know whatever guidelines come up and all that. So that's taking up a lot of time, just just trying to figure out how we can safely do it, how we can uh, operate under the conditions that are going to be in effect for a while here. Uh, So that's taking up a lot of time, but I did do a lot of yard work yesterday, which I found is uh, much worse than driving race cars or working out to drive race cars. So if anybody's (laughs) trying to get in shape to drive their race car, go out and do some yard work.
1: Okay. That's perfect. Yeah, we can, uh, um, I uh, I had a barn that uh, I doubled the size of it. when I finished the inside, the second par- portion of it, my son and I did, and we, I just moved carry cars in there yesterday. When I was blowing out the barn, I was actually wearing a dust mask to keep dust from coming in my face. So I, I felt <laughs> I was a uh, yeah. You're right there. Yeah, I was actually using it for what it was supposed to be for. I
0: guess. Yeah. Now, for for anybody out there who remembers. The uh, Ninja Turtles, the uh, uh, cartoon of Ninja Turtles. If they remember, remember Splinter, Splinter was way ahead of the game because he looked like he was wearing a mask the whole time. So That's I think r- he was prepared for this 20 or 30 years ago.
1: Splinter, yes, mutant, teenage mutant Ninja Turtles. That's awesome, yes, sir, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> uh, well, t- today I wanted to talk about um, specifically uh, Start to finish, kinda. I guess we could say, um, finding a new a new race car and options, and clearly what we need to do with, you know, to to prepare that car for the track. So um, I guess start at the beginning. If so, so if I came into your office um, one day and sat down and said, I'm interested in um, a car a race car, how would you, I realize that there are, um, you, you know, more specific, you, you know, we all like certain cars and it, it does make sense. I mean, obviously the guy's not going to sit down and you go, go buy an Indy car. Right. So, um, for <laughs> so, sure. So what kind of is a, is, is a plan? I mean, how do how do you handle that? How do you, how do you work with a, with a, a student that you have a new member, um, kind of guide me through the the thought processes of what we as members or new car buyers need to be thinking about.
0: Well, you being a pilot would understand this as well as anybody. Uh, The Air Force doesn't start you in an F-16 and send you out there and have at it. They start you in a slow airplane uh, so that things happen slow enough that you can learn the basics of flight uh, and still have some brain cells left to think about what's going on. And uh, everybody wants to hop in an F 16, but you got to work your way up to it. And driving race cars is the same way. Everybody wants to get in the whizzy, fast car, cool car, uh, you know, and it doesn't matter how much money you've got, you need to start with the basics. And so the actual slower, more basic car you can start out with, one that has a clutch cuddle and a stick, that has many things for you to do, but happens at a slow speed. You can learn the basics so that as you move up, you'll, you'll be prepared. If you, uh, you start with a fast car, you're so busy just trying to save your butt in every corner. You really don't learn as much.
1: Hmm.
0: So, so if somebody comes into my office, I tell them, well, I don't care how much money you got, go buy me out, expect me out. And I know most people don't want to hear that, uh, I was always an open-wheel guy for years years and years, and I always thumbed my nose at the Spec Miatas and uh, didn't even want to sit in one. And then a friend of mine who used to drive Formula One had one and shaved me into driving it, and I realized, A, it was fun, and B, it was a real race car. So I just think that that's the place to start, and I know you and I have talked about this in the past. Uh if you have experience in other things and you have all the basics down, that's a whole different story. But really I first thing I say is go get a Miata.
1: Yeah, I I loved love our Miata. We we were fortunate enough to um a, a find find a good one that we we think is a good one and uh we'll find out mm-hmm. as my son takes it into the Spec Miata field <laughs> this this year, how good of a driver right. and, and car it is, you know. Um I, I, my first car I had was a nine forty four, nineteen eighty four, nine forty four, and I loved, 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 loved that car. Um, it's a very good car. That was a that was a blast, and I I happened to find that a friend of mine who upgraded. He bought a newer nine forty four, and it was a track car. It wasn't full blown race car. It just had a roll bar in it and mm-hmm. stuff. But it, I did love that car, um, and I sold it to a friend of mine um, last summer. So where is some of the so. So Spec Miata, where are some places we can look uh, to find a Spec Miata?
0: Well, the place, the place around here is uh, Advanced Autosports up in uh, Beloit, Wisconsin. I mean, They're kind of the gurus of this thing. They usually have something to sell. But uh, a lot of their stuff is fairly expensive. Uh, usually there's something for sale at the Autobahn. Uh, if they don't have their uh, car... Advertised on the website, generally, Tom Baglier and myself or uh, George at uh, Eurosport generally have a good line on what's what's around, what's for sale. It's a good place to start. All the, I mean, a lot of the people have the beginner Miata, which you can get for ten grand around that, uh, and they move up to a faster car and it's for sale. So there's a constant, constant turnover of cars just at the autobahn, and it's a good place to start. And I'm not, and I'm not. Uh, minimizing any of the other shops or, or cars that people run at the Audubon. I just think that Miata's a place to start.
1: Yeah, so and we just have asking so asking around,
0: after, after around, you're gonna find one.
1: Yeah, so okay. you, Tom, George, those are great places to start. the The members, the Audubon member, yeah, Autobahnmember.com. I think that's what, the, the 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 members website has the spot. Yeah for cars for sale or members items for sale, I think is actually how it's listed. Uh, you yep. can go in there and you can get an idea there uh, and then take that information. If something pops up or sometimes I've seen them sitting in the paddock with a for sale sign on it and you can see, you know, just walk right by it and see it yeah. and members name right. um, and yeah. then go to you guys. One of you guys, you know, and ask about that car. And I think one of the cool things about our club is, yeah, some of those cars have been sold several times, and we know the history of them. We know who built them, how they got built, and how the, kind of how they've been taken care of. So, and all this is literally, I mean, that's such such a huge benefit for the, for the club, and the club members, Absolutely. I should say. Yeah, I don't know what the number is, but there are
0: a lot of spec at the Autobahn, and the vast majority of them have been through Georgie's shop at one point or another. And, you know what kind of engines, you know, who did the engine, how long can we take care of all this stuff, like you say. And uh, you can certainly, through Georgia, through talking to the other members, they know the car. And, yeah, I think it's a really unique situation we have at the Autobahn, the rotating car setup. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and we – in advance, you know, I've been up to Advance Autosport there the last. We think we just a little setup on our car and did did a couple modifications this this year. Mm-hmm. That's quite a place. You talk, you walk in the door, and I buy at the fifty maybe spec Miatas all all over the place. They've got them
0: crammed, <laughs> got them crammed in there. Absolutely, they got a lot of them. I mean, um, and when I work on my spec Miata, I get my stuff, I get my parts from them. They're a good guys.
1: Yeah, there's. Uh, speaking of which, there's they do sell a manual. Um, the former yep. owner, Dave, I think of the spec Miata manual, we got that and it really just, I mean, it's very detailed, uh, just a spiral bound, uh, book, but it, it has a massive amount of information in there regards to spec Miatas.
0: Oh yeah. When I got a Spec that's the first thing I bought. Absolutely. And, and depending on your mechanical ability, your tools and everything else, there's a lot you can do yourself or, you know, you can, there's you know, uh, a couple of shops at the Alabama that can, that can do the work for you just a matter of uh, how much effort you want to put into it.
1: Yeah. I think all the, I think all the, the three, four shops, they all do a little bit and can, and can definitely help you out. Um, you know, going in and talking to each one of the owners and managers in there to, to kind of get a feel for what each of the shops do. It's tremendously beneficial. The, right, I, I like the idea. Um, buying the spec miata as opposed to just a miata or some other type of car like a 944 for example well in my case the 944 wouldn't have been probably you could have still raced it but it wasn't as competitive in the gt former gt1 class now gt5 class (laughs) gt5 class i guess now right so um yeah but the spec miata i think is cool because if you do decide you want to race, you have the car that you can race, as opposed to in my situation, I had to sell my car to get the spec me out that. Actually, was a more appropriate spot to start my son at racing.
0: Yeah, right. And uh, and the nice thing is with spec me and I, and like I said, I'm not denigrating any of the other cars or series or anything else. Uh, but in the spec me out, there's always somebody to race with. No, okay, you got the hottest car out there and you're the best driver there, there's somebody to drive with. Or you're in the middle, there's somebody to race with. Or you're just starting out, there's somebody to, somebody to race with. And you really find that you end up, as you get better, those same people get better, and you end up racing with the same people, uh, battling it out as you both get better and move up through the ranks. So that's, that's just it just makes a lot of sense to run with that class, especially if you're starting out. So you know a lot, a lot of a lot of people want to go out there and drive their street cars on the track. And I mean you you didn't say street cars initially. You said race cars, but I'd like to just clarify that that you can drive your your street car on the track. But first of all, there's no roll cage in it. and The safety is only what DOT requires. But also the wear and tear of your car is such that you end up if you want to make it so you can drive it on the racetrack properly end up putting better brakes and better tires and this and that on it you might as well buy a race car in the first place
1: right yes so if you do go um i think you i think a member would be challenged to find some type of insurance to cover their car while they're on the track Um i hear rumors that it's possible i know that it on specific days like a porsche club of america high performance driving education day you can get you know weekend insurance but if you're coming out there Tuesday through Friday just lapping as a regular member um, I think you're cha- I think it's going to be a challenge to get insurance for your street car and yep. generally they're a lot more expensive
2: yeah
0: yeah I mean you, know, you could you could totally destroy a Miata and still probably it's really hard to, to total one out and you can still put it back together for five grand if, if you just destroyed it. Uh, but that's the fender on some cars, and you know street cars are just that—they're street cars. The lowest level race car is still a race car, and it's made to do what we do on the racetrack. That's why it's just—and you get into extra things like that. you got a place to put it and things like that. And if you're just going to drive around for fun and maybe do lunchtime touring, you can still practice the line and all that with your street car. But yeah, when you want to get serious, you got to get a race car. And it's the most intelligent way to do it is to start with a spec me out.
1: And uh, pre-purchase inspection, what do, do you recommend those? And what does that really entail? Well, I, you know, that's not what I do for a living. I just know about it. It's certainly a
0: good idea to have it looked at. I mean, any one of the shops can do that. I would assume it's just a matter of you know you need to talk to them. Uh, I think the biggest thing the biggest thing is to do your research. Uh, ask around. If the car hasn't been here, well then then yeah you're going to need a pre some kind of pre purchase inspection. Uh, but still there to be things that you know they can't see. They don't have X-ray vision. Uh, if it's been around the the club, that's the best way to do it because you can you pretty much know uh, the ownership, uh, trail for,
1: for years. Yeah. You had, you had mentioned, uh, one thing about some of the differences between like a spec Miata and, um, a, a formula or say formula Mazda. And I thought it was, mm-hmm. v- I thought it was very interesting that, that, again, your, uh, unbelievable racing career started in, in open wheels and and lasted you know long long time, mm-hmm. taking so you you're very, um, I, I, you know, versed in taking care of one of those cars as as far as the ongoing maintenance challenges between say a formula car and, and a and a, a spec Miata, it's a big difference, isn't it?
0: Yeah, uh, and uh, like for instance, when I started racing, it was a Formula Ford, which was the kind of the spec Miata of formula cars. And uh, we checked every nut and every bolt on that car every session, every half hour session, we went through and checked every nut and bolt on that car. Now you could probably get away with doing it maybe once every three or four sessions, but you still got to do it with a Miata. I mean, you got to check them once in a while, but just just due to the fact that it's based on a street car, there's not nearly as much, much maintenance on it. Uh, and that's, that's not to say that a, formula mazda isn't a good place to start but there is more maintenance involved uh that's one of the lowest maintenance formula cars there is but there is more maintenance involved the gearbox is a non-synchromesh gearbox so uh you need to learn how to either double clutch or shift properly without the clutch and there is wear and tear on those gearboxes and those gears are gears are expensive uh uh, but definitely, any formula type car, sports racer type like a radical or anything like that, requires more maintenance than a spec me out or even GT cars simply because they're they're pure race cars and everything's built as lightly as possible. Whereas in a street car, a street based car, uh, race car, everything's built to go 100,000 miles. So, by their nature, they do require more maintenance and just more upkeep.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So we've, we've got a new, uh, hypothetically here, we've got a new car. So whether um, you've been a member for a long time and you had already had a Spec Me Out or a Spec Me Out as your first one, I'm going to kind of paint the picture of it's just a new car. It could be a, a formula car, and I'll kind of address what you do with single-seat drivers in a second. But So I got a new car, and I'm headed to the track. How do you approach, like day one? So we've we've had uh, it to the shop. So whether we got a pre-purchase knock, but we after we bought it, then we took it to you know a proper mechanic facility to get it, um, you know the fluids changed and the brakes looked at and everything to make sure that it's safe to get out there. The seat fits you. Oh yeah, that's a, uh, Let's talk about that for a second. What do you, what do you like to see in a, in a seat to fit a driver? Do you like them really snug? Do you how big of a of a piece of the puzzle is is the seat to fit you individually.
0: It's a huge piece of the puzzle, uh, and I really feel that if the seat should be so good that the only reason you have seat belts and shoulder harness is in case you crash. The seat should be so good that the seat belts aren't holding you in; the seat is holding you in. Ah. Uh, I mean it's. I mean it's so important. I can't even explain I mean it can that's number one priority and not only does the seat have to fit you and it mean it can't be so tight that it cuts the circulation off your legs but you should be in there uh, tightly you shouldn't move at all and you should only be able to do to what you need to do to drive the car uh, and that being said yeah not everybody can afford to have a whatever those Uh, inserts cost, multi-thousand dollar insert made for your seat. But you can certainly go down to uh, Walmart and get uh, uh, high-density foam pads that you kneel on when you're working in your garden. Or there's a real nice uh, uh, yoga mat that you can get that's high-density foam that you can cut up. It's 25 bucks. You can cut it up and push it in there and and, get everything kind of at least get it padded up and at, at the least, pad it up and tape the stuff in there so that, A, it doesn't hurt when you're done. Your back doesn't start hurting. And, B, you can think about driving the car rather than sliding around in the seat. Very important. And then the next thing is most people sit too far away from the pedals. And you'll be looking at data, and you'll be telling them to brake harder, and they'll say, I'm breaking as hard as I can. And finally you realize they're sitting too far away, and they can't re- reach the pedals. They can't reach the steering wheel properly. It's all... That's the most important thing before you even get to the racetrack.
1: Wow, yeah, that's 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 probably a lot. So we we can set up a lesson as a member. We can set up. I guess there's another advantage of the of the Audubon is the ability to go around and find a seat and sit into multiple seats to find out one yeah. that you're comfortable with. Because all the members, if you want to sit in my seat or. One of our other car seats, or or whatever, more than welcome to sit in there, you know, and then take a look at the seat. And do the seats? Do they expire like seat belts, or are they like are they for lifetime?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, they do, but uh, I'm not real versed on. That. I think there's a there's a uh, standard 8859 or 899. I'm not sure what the number is that the uh, composite seats need to need to meet. The aluminum seats, I don't think there's any expiration on them, but you have to have a, uh, a back brace with one of them. Uh, that's one of the best thing to do. Is One other thing you should do before you even come to the racetrack, before you even set up the seat in your car, is to read the rule book. And the rule book kind of tells you everything <laughs> you need to know about that. And, uh, you know, ignorance is no excuse. Uh, Mike would probably be real happy to hear that I'm recommending you read the road book. So he has, doesn't have to deal with as many problems as normal, but uh, certainly a lot of those questions are answered there. And guys, you know, guys that run the shops out there would know those specific, specific questions, but they last a long time. to see to, I know that. So but you're right about, you're right about the members are happy that yeah, try my teeth. Oh, you don't like, you like the way it fits, but you don't like the fact that you can't get
1: in and out of it? Okay. Try another one. You know, it's, it's, very important, very
0: important.
1: Oh, that, another huge point is getting out of your car. If, if your seat is so encased, you can't properly emergency exit your car, um, I suppose that could be a detriment when you really needed to, right? Well, it would only be a problem if you have to emergency,
0: if you have to exit your car in an emergency. and That possibility certainly exists. So yeah, and a lot of that is roll cage design too. When you're looking at a car, any race car, uh, formula cars are a little different, but any uh, fendered race car, uh, the roll cage designs are all different. So you may you before you ever buy a car, you need to sit in it and try to get in and out to make sure it fits. There are people that have bought cars at the Autobahn when they finally tried to get in it, they realized <laughs> it didn't fit. So that's another. That's why it, it's hard to buy something from Atlanta and have it shipped here. You're not sure if you're gonna like the way, the way the roll cage is. Cause the roll cage design has a lot to do with how easy it is to get in and out of the car. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Yeah. A lot to it. Yeah, so I'm glad we're talking about all this. <laughs> we haven't even got
0: on the racetrack
1: yet. No, we haven't we even got on the racetrack, right? So we, um, I could set a, a, a time up for you to meet and say, hey, just look at my seat, look at my placement. Um, I know that when I get in an airplane, I put my seat at the exact same spot, my rudder pedals at the exact same spot every single time I get in there. And there's, we have a little kind of little guide on that. I suppose someone can do the same with the, with a car. We go in there, we we meet with you, we set up a lesson, and you know we just talk about you know positioning of everything, and then we you know can mark the seat, and, you know mark a couple, put a couple pieces of tape on the on the floor or something. Both um, cars that I have. We do track three cars. One's a, a street car, but both the race cars both have adjustable seats in it, which is not
0: mm-hmm.
1: common, is it? I, I don't. I love, most of them are fixed. Is that a, a statement? Or
0: it's not super common on Spec Miata. It's more common than GT cars, okay. uh, but uh, fairly common. And I absolutely agree that take a uh, some kind of a marker and a permanent marker, make a mark, put your initials next to it, and that's what you do. It. When you're running a Daytona and you got four different drivers, there's a certain mark for each driver. When you slide it up, hmm. the mechanic makes sure it's there. Absolutely, it should always be the same. Uh, you run into a little more of a problem when you don't have sliders, the adjustable seat, but seats, the seat mounts do have adjustments. Different bolt holes you can put them in. It's a, it's a little tougher to do, but certainly with the help, either by yourself with the help of one of the uh, uh, shops at the Autobahn, it's certainly doable. And yeah, stopping by and seeing myself or Tom, we can come out there and it doesn't take very long to tell you what we think you need to do. Hmm.
1: Okay. So we're, many Spec Miatas have two seats in them. You know, I spe- specifically had, I bought one that did not have a seat and uh, hired uh, it another seat to be added so that. An instructor can ride with myself my son my wife you know Mm -hmm. soon my daughter do you how do you like so we in addition to that we ended up getting a i believe it's a rally cross like uh intercom system uh, installed so that we i wanted to be able to clearly hear you know the instructor scream break Turn, <laughs> yeah always a good thing <laughs> look out <Right>. so um <laughs> and uh so how is there an intercom system you like i know that there's some that i you know that are like blue bluetooth or little handheld transmitters do you, do, you, do you have an intercom system you like or do you use hand signals well, or what? sometimes I'm they're too loud go, it doesn't even that. work i'm sorry go ahead I'm sorry. Tom and I both use uh, a
0: couple different systems. I've got three different ones that I use depending on uh, whether a person has their helmet wired for radio or not. Tom, same thing. Uh, it's really nice when people have a, a intercom system in their car. There's a few of them. Uh, Stilo makes one. Uh, I think if you if you go to the the major like Racing Electronics or Racing Radios, most of them have something like that, uh, and that's certainly nice for us. Because then it's built in, we don't have a bunch of wires you know going around, but still we have we have various ways of communicating with people, and we certainly feel it's very important to be able to to talk. It's not so important for us to hear you, but it's important for you to hear us right and uh so we both have hand helmets that we use, but if someone has one in their car, it certainly is an advantage to us. it just makes it easier,
1: yeah, I find. Important. From my old flying days, wearing the foam earplugs in my ears prior to putting the headset on with, um, you know, the intercom uh, makes it more... I hear more clearly. It it just blocks out some of the peaks, I think. So even though I'm putting earplugs in, I hear more clear than I do without the earplugs. And... The other thing is, I turn it up. So we're sitting there; that motor's idling, and I turn it up. The second that I hit the gas, I go, "Whoops! I didn't turn it up fast." I turn it up high. Enough. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, due to the fact that I've
0: been around race cars my whole life, I've pretty much got it wide open on my side the whole time. <laughs> but, but yeah, generally, people say, "Oh, that's too loud." And as soon as you get on the racetrack, you have to turn it up. Yeah, you just don't realize what the decibel level is inside these cars. And I've never tried using the using the uh, the ear. Earplugs, you know, inside, you know, with the speakers around them, it's actually a good, good thing to try. But certainly, any kind of communication is good. And when you got two seats in your car, it is a big advantage for Tom and I to ride with you. Uh, and the first two laps is always the scariest because everybody's trying to impress us. And I got news for you: you're not gonna. <laughs> but I also got news for you: you're not going to scare us either because we're already scared
1: before we get in the car. <laughs> yeah that's another um i'm sure you and and tom both have know a car inside about every car that you're going to see inside and out when you're when you're working with somebody when with a new with a new car i suppose the ins and outs of it so so for example so we i've spent most of my time in a spec miata um recently Mm -hmm. this year which i haven't had it out yet i got a boss 302s uh, factory race car that only has mm-hmm. one one seat in it so right. i you know set a lesson up with you and are what do you what is some of the things we that i I'm not asking for the free lesson here now, so <laughs> I will set a <laughs> lesson up with you, so that's not what the podcast is about, but, you know, what are the kind of things that we, that we cover? I suppose, different braking, I mean, do, do you spend some t- some classroom time with, say, hey, here's my new car, whatever it is, it's, you know, a, a Cayman, or a, a 911, or a Spec Me Out, or whatever, but here's my new car, do, do you want to, do a classroom time, or do you just want to sit, in, or at least not sit in the car, I guess in my case, but at least go over what what's going to happen first?
0: Well, of course. I mean,
1: any information you get, I mean, certainly
0: we know how most cars are, but every car has its own idiosyncrasies. Hey, stop stopping with us and just we'll, we'll get you going and tell you what to think about, what to worry about for starters uh, before you even get going. Then after that, there's no reason not to have a camera in your car. And there's no reason not to have data acquisition in your car. Mm-hmm. And people go nuts. They go nuts with the data acquisition. I mean, you can get a GoPro. GoPros. They use GoPros on television shows now. Uh, and yeah, two, three hundred bucks for a GoPro, which is data acquisition because we can watch that. And then the actual data acquisition system, you can get one that's perfectly serviceable and works very well for five hundred bucks, uh, five six hundred bucks. That's a lot of money, but in the big scheme of things, race wise, the percentage is not high at all. And as long as Tom and I have a, have a, uh, a uh, graph of speed versus distance, that's the most important thing right there. We can glean a lot of things from that. Certainly, it's nice to have throttle application and all this other stuff, but just a basic Solo 2 or something like that that costs you 500 or 600 bucks is it helps us. It's almost like us riding with you if we've got the combination of the video and the data, and that's where we can really help. So just because there isn't a seat doesn't mean we can't virtually ride with it.
1: Yeah. So, so a GoPro, I suppose, steering, hand position, see where the car is pointed. Do you ever put one like on your, on, uh, on, you know, to watch the, your, your footwork, your braking application and, and everything? Do you ever? I've never done that. I mean, uh, as, as far as, uh, braking application, like
0: how, how you're, how quickly you're getting into the brake, how hard you're hitting the brake, how well you're holding the brake down—that's all. That's all uh, visible on it on a speed graph. Oh, it's the slope sure, of the and the where. it's all stuff you can glean from that. Now, if you have uh, g forces there that we can look, or you have brake pressure, uh, that's all. Uh, it just makes it easier to break it down. But you but you don't need to get crazy. It's, the simpler you keep things, the better. I mean, driving a race car is just a bunch of simple things put together really quickly. It's not that difficult. It's not that complicated. It's just difficult. It's like hitting a golf ball. The ball's sitting still. How hard could (laughs) it be? But there's so many different things involved in hitting that golf ball properly. You don't want to swing too fast. You want to swing too hard. That's why why with a race car, you start out easy. And I personally feel that you can learn a tremendous amount driving around the racetrack under 40 miles an hour. Uh, Tom and I both do that before we open and after after we close at, 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 during the day and also during lunchtime touring. Uh, when you're driving slow, you see things that you wouldn't see when you're driving fast. You can look at different turning points. You can look and see where exactly are you braking? What do you need to look at? Where, why does the car do some weird thing in that corner? Maybe the car is banked or unbanked. Uh, so there's a lot of things you can do that, aren't that complicated to make yourself a better driver on racetrack.
1: Right. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. We can set up a lesson um, to meet at, at, at seven 30 in the morning and go around the racetrack a little bit slower and talk and with the windows up in a streetcar that you can hear and communicate really well. Um, yes. And, uh, and apply that specific car that, that, that new car that we have, here's what this is, here's how this is going to work and this is what this is going to have, you know, yeah, that's pretty valuable. Where absolutely, and you can, you can stop. You can stop and say,
0: "No, wait a second, stop right here." And we can walk up there and say, "No, put put your I'm putting my foot right in the spot. Put your my foot. That's where I want your left wheel." And that's mm. the advantage of that. That's rather than driving around the racetrack with your hair on fire <laughs> and you know, you're you're trying to communicate all this stuff, but by the time you communicated the last turn, you've already screwed up the next one.
1: <laughs> Just right. saying. It. Right, right. <laughs> not that I've experienced it at all. Oh, sure, no, sure, not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, lead, follow. Do you do you do a lot of lead? Is that something also? Do you do you hop in a car and, and say follow me, or I'm going to follow you? And um... yeah, that's helpful. Uh, it, it's helpful, obviously, if both cars have a video too.
0: Uh, that's certainly very helpful and a lot less stressful for us than riding. Uh, but yes, but still, I mean, I, I can't emphasize enough how valuable it is slow speed driving around the racetrack, lunchtime touring. Perfect. People go out there and they want to kick these cars in the butt and see how fast they go on lunchtime turn, which is not what lunchtime touring is all about. And if you use it as a chance to drive around the track at a reasonable speed and look at things. Why you have enough brain cells to think about it? It's very valuable, and you don't have to use one of the fleet cars. You can just take your car out, drive around.
1: Sure. Yeah, for lunchtime touring, right? Right. Um, so then, so so getting with getting with the data. Uh, yeah, you had mentioned the Solo Two as, as a Aim system. I don't yeah, Aim is the name of the company, I guess. It's uh, similar for your kart racer. If you're moving on, it's the microns by the same company we in my same software. um in my spec miata we i think we just took it out to put a new system if we had an old track i say old track mates it's as, it's as yep. old as a miata i'm driving a miata from 1997 i guess Trackmate was a system around in 1997 but we're yeah, still... And it's still perfectly it's
0: still perfectly functional still perfectly usable
1: uh it's just
0: not as sophisticated as the, as the newer systems Yeah,
1: yeah. Have have you used any of the phone system? I've I've used that Harry's Track lap timer. How do those compare to an actual real system? I say real system. I haven't used them. I've ridden with guys who
0: are using them, so I'm not that familiar with them. Uh, So uh, it, it all depends on how powerful the software is and how easy it is to operate. There are systems out there that I've used that cost Twenty thirty thousand bucks, and you've got to be an engineer to figure out how to run the software. I'd rather have a cheap software system or a cheap hardware system with good software. So I really can't speak to that. Mm. But a lot of people use it. A lot of people use it. And if you can graph it out, if you can graph your speed around the racetrack, and it's it, the uh, uh, it's fairly uh, what would be the word? It's uh, the definition is pretty good on it. That's a lot better than nothing. Anything you have that will record what you're doing on the track is going to help you analyze your drive.
1: Okay. And do you, you know, when you get together, how long do you usually spend with somebody? So they go out and drive and say, hey, you know, I'll be back, you know, after this this session if we can look at How long do you usually spend, you know, looking at that? I know I've seen you in your office and in the classroom and and really diving deep into this with with not – diving deep in necessarily the data which you do do but i mean diving deep into the driver education from that data
0: yeah uh and it's funny that starting out there's a lot but it's more you're using a hatchet to fix things okay then when you really get good you spend a lot of time because you're using a file and a micrometer in between you're just kind of uh uh, trying to work on the rough edges. So really starting out and when you really get good is when you really get crazy on, on the data. Uh, when you've been doing it for a while, you're just trying to kind of uh, knock off the, the uh, rough edges or just reinforce uh, the good habits that you had that uh, you need to work on. Uh, but, you know, usually an hour is pretty good. I mean, after an hour, you smoke starts coming out your ears anyway. <laughs> But uh, usually, in an an hour is a really good amount of time to look at the data. I mean, you know, a lot of times we got to sit down and draw pictures of the of the track and what line we want you to run. Could be an hour, could be two hours. It depends on your attention span, but certainly one hour is a real good number.
1: Hmm.
0: Looking and analyzing.
1: Okay. Now. Um, when, do you do both data for just like tracking and then you take a look at data for a rate, you know, after, after the races? Is that something you do also? Well,
0: and in the races, and one thing with data you got to remember for those of you outside that are doing it yourself, don't just look at your fastest lap because very seldom are all your fast cor- fastest corners on your fastest lap. You have to go through all your data to pick out, oh, look, that time I did it better. Than I did it any other time. It wasn't on my fast lap, and that's where the video comes in. Then you can look at the video and look at your lap on video and say, "Oh, wait a second, it'll probably." A lot of times it trips your mind into, "Oh, okay, I remember what I did that lap." So now I've got to try
1: to replicate that every lap. And I forgot your question. <laughs> the, uh, race race data versus just tracking data. Ah, there you go. That's how I got down that rabbit hole. Uh,
0: when you're lapping, generally, you can certainly set yourself up to, to be driving by yourself, so you can run the, as close to the perfect line as you can every every lap. When you're racing, there's generally, unless you're out front of everybody, there's, there's interference from everybody. So sometimes the data isn't as valuable as the video, <clears throat> because the video now helps you. Because your data doesn't tell you what everybody else is doing. Well, gee, look how slow in turn four. Why was that? Well, it's because some guy dived inside you, dove inside of you, or you're trying to pass somebody, or they hit their brakes too soon. So when you're looking at race data, it's really important to look at your uh, video also uh, to first of all work on your tactics. That, that's where you figure out, geez, why couldn't I get by that guy? And then you realize, oh. I, I was uh, running up, in, uh, up behind him in the corners, and he was getting a better exit. I needed to back off and get a better exit to get by him. Or everybody, whenever there's an incident, you can just ask Mike about this. And whenever there's an incident and you've got two people involved, two people have completely different ideas of what happened, and neither one of them's right. <laughs> and that's why you look at the video to see what you're doing. Uh, I, I really recommend looking at your whole video, running your race, not in your head, but with your video. And then you can stop it and go back. And then if you do cut a fast lap, then you can look at your look at your data and say, okay, let's compare that to what I did in qualifying and see how I did it or why I was slower, why I was faster. But that's why video and uh, data are so interrelated. They're both
1: data. Hmm. Right. Okay. Uh, so, sim racing—that's that's the thing that we think. You know, we're all spending our time doing that because we can get on the on the racetrack. How, how, what do you like about sim racing, and what are the cautions of you know sim racing, or what are the limitations? I guess we might say.
0: Well, and I really don't like the word simulator because unless you put unless you sit on about 240 volts of electricity, and when you crash, it zaps you. It's it's doesn't simulate real racing, right, uh, if you know what I'm saying. But yeah. <laughs> that being said, it has a lot of positive uses. When you're starting out, it helps you just get the basics. It's like, uh, what are they talking about, this outside, inside, outside stuff? Oh, okay. I, oh, look at that. I went outside, inside, outside, made the line a little better. And usually most of these systems, have these software systems, have the correct line that you could follow to drive around. And you can you can certainly uh, use that to help help you. And also, uh, you got two corners connected together. And you realize that if you don't take it properly, it doesn't work out. Uh, it's certainly good for the basics. It's also good for race tactics. Uh, you know, as long as you don't do the thing where you're punting people all the time, and we're actually racing people trying to be clean, you you can learn a lot about race tactics. Uh, another thing that I really like. In some of the software systems, you can actually get into the uh, settings and change the sway bars, change the springs, change the wings, adjust things, and actually see how it changes the car. And it's a very inexpensive way to learn how to do that with your race car. Uh, the biggest disadvantage to it is that I've never driven one of the $150,000 ones. Uh, I've driven the ones that are 40000 or $50,000. And depending on the software it's not super realistic as far as the way the car drives. And this is a bone of contention with a lot of the other driving coaches I talk to around the country that they'll have, particularly for a challenge where people can afford a really nice simulator. They actually decide where they're going to break, where they're going to turn for their next race by driving the simulator. And the problem is they don't really handle like a real race car. Uh, They're, 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 Computer models aren't quite perfect yet, so you can get into trouble if you if you try to change what you're doing on the track car-wise, you know, way you're driving the car. But certainly the line, tactics, setup, things like that, they're great practice for that. It's just not quite perfect. At least the ones you readily afford are just not quite perfect yet. So you got to be careful with that. Hmm. And uh-huh.
1: they're fun, too. <laughs> yes, I've... I've... We're we're we we've, we've been having a blast. We're my son. We broke ours for the second time um, last night when he slammed on the brakes and the thing came apart and the monitor came down and I grabbed the monitor and he <laughs> he he started turning. So uh, we uh, our new one our new one is getting put together this afternoon and tomorrow. So <laughs> okay okay. But it has it it has been it has been fun in our in our downtime and our need to to get back in the track and at least connect. Uh, virtually with some of our friends so uh, yeah well tony thank you so much for being on the show today if, if, how can we get a hold of you what's the best way to get a hold of you
0: The best way to get a hold of me is tony kester at com, or
1: my phone number 219-670-0528 well, thanks again. Always a pleasure. I look forward to uh, <laughs> seeing you in person and, and getting my new my new car out there and having some fun with it and uh, yeah. and uh, going from going for some actual racing in a real car this year.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll whenever we're ready to, whenever we can go, we'll be ready to go.
1: <laughs> so I
0: just uh, hope you and everybody out there stays stays healthy and is careful until we figure this whole
1: thing out. All right. Well, thank you for. Uh, all your words today and your kind words uh, there at the end and look forward to seeing you soon. Okay. Talk to you later. Count me out. I don't know what that means. You need to go three, two,
2: one. And then I know I'm on again.
1: Oh, like, uh, like Freddie does on iCarly. Okay. <laughs> I've never watched iCarly, but... Oh, it's fantastic. The writing on that show is... I mean, it's as good as Seinfeld. The writing is oh, absolutely... amazing. It? Oh, it's... The kids shouldn't watch it. The adults should watch it, and it's absolutely hilarious because the kids don't get a third of what they're saying.
2: Oh, I'll have to... I'll, I'll take a watch on it because I have so much time on my
1: hands. Three... To go backwards? That's three, two, one. Three, two, one. Well, how did you, you like the interview? I do. I think it was really good, John. I, I got a ton of
2: stuff and you know, it's interesting. One of the best things I got from him was the whole section on talking about your seat and how essentially important the seat is. And as you know, you gave me a seat for my um, simulator, which I'm so going to hook up two twenty to that and zap my kid every time he hits, uses a car as a bumper. Um, I thought that was hysterical with Kester saying that it needs a good two hundred and forty volts into the seat to so when you hit something, you know you hit something. Um, <laughs> but but I like the high density foam. Um, as you mentioned, you know, the seat you gave me kind of gets your uh, your tailbone a little numb if you sit in it too long. And I think you know, going to Walmart, you know, as you mask up and glove up and goggle up, um, <laughs> uh, you know, get, getting a, a yoga mat and cutting that and getting some extra foam padding, uh, and I think we're even going to probably look at doing, you know, S- Spencer grew six inches from the last season to this season. And so we had to put a new seat in, and, you know, thanks to Alan and Mario got at the cart track for, you know, helping us get that fitted for Spencer. Um, but putting a little of that yoga, uh, high density foam and getting that all taped up compared to the little padding that I did last year, which was, uh, I think I bought some foam at, uh, Hobby Lobby and used some duct tape. So I think we're going to go a little bit higher end this, uh, this season and <laughs> do some high density foam and get that all cut up. So, but one of the questions I had, um, which I, I, you know, he said, that, you know, and Gritter would love to hear it, is about the rule book. Where do we get the rule book? Do you know where we get this rule book and where do we read it? And how big is it? Is it is it available on the Audubon? Do we know if it's available on the Audubon website and stuff?
1: Yeah, so AudubonMembers.com if you go to um, Members Racing and then the next one is let me just click on to make sure I got it right. Um, yes. So you go to members. So, AudubonMembers.com, Members Racing, hover over that, and you'll get Schedule, Forms, and Info, which is the first link. Click on that. And then on the right hand side are uh, the 2020 Members Racing book, the 2020 Rules Change, Changes. Which we're gonna have a, a show about that soon with race director Mike Gritter talking about some of the changes for this year. Uh, we know rules. We don't need no stinking rules. <laughs> there are a lot of rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's where you go. So there, there you go. That's where you. Oh go. cool.
2: So everybody listen to that because now I'm assuming there's probably a rule book we follow the rule book for on the cart track. For um, Margate, correct? I believe was what I think we talked about last time. We have our own,
1: I believe we have our own rule book, and okay. uh, that is under if you go to AudubonMembers dot com, carting, and then uh, down on the left hand side, uh, about halfway down the page, almost halfway down the a little for there, it's the twenty twenty cart series competition oh. rules. And so there might be some differences from the Margay book, but I'm I'm sure they're not they're not much. Just a right. Of them. Okay. Cool. A few of
2: So, uh, according to Mister Kester, uh, we should look at purchasing a Miata.
1: Yeah, he's but he was certainly certainly big on the Miatas, wasn't he? Yeah.
2: Oh, and I think it's great that the whole the track has so many Miatas around that have as as he mentioned have gone from one driver to another driver to another driver. So there's history with that car. Um so you just don't run out and buy a Porsche GT2 RS and throw it on the track and and think you're, you know, Lewis
1: Hamilton. <laughs> right, <laughs> starting I guess starting I guess learning how to crawl before we walk and walk before we run is, uh, yeah. is always, always a key, right? Exactly. And I, I thought,
2: you know, the one, the big takeaway that I, I never knew of, and, you know, I'm going to probably try this with Spencer a little bit, um, it, on the cart track, you know, cause I don't go out on the big track. I go pretty much on the cart track. Um, is driving the track slow. I've never thought about that. You know, I, 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 you see all the kids when they get out there, even during practice, you know, it's a race and just to learn the track and, and drive it slow every, you know, get a couple laps in and it's slow. And, you know, I always thought that lunchtime touring, you know, was for not only, you know, to, to learn about different cars that we have, but to, you know, on that back straight, you know, kind of get, see how quick she runs. And I, I, I learned a lot about, you know, how important lunchtime touring can actually be to help your performance on the track because you're driving it slow, you learn different apexes and, and and you feel more of the road. And I thought that was an interesting aspect too.
1: Yeah, you you bring up a good point. I don't know if I take advantage of that as much as I should, and or I don't know if I've ever taken advantage on the on the, on a cart track. I guess I do have. I I have maybe seen some guys go out and go around, you know, in golf carts certain times, or maybe you know, getting okay to clear it out there to go around, and that would be helpful. But yeah, that yeah. was a, I guess I didn't really thought much about doing that. The, well, I don't do it enough. I'll say that. Right. I don't, I don't do it enough. Even, you know, obviously right now, you know, sim racing is big. I jumped in a race last night, and I didn't, I should have been there an hour earlier and got on the racetrack and driven the racetrack much slower than I did, than as fast as I can. Oh, I just flew off the track. I guess I probably need to know it turns right and not left at this point. <laughs> You're not staring at the little map in the
2: left-hand corner telling you where your car is on They the don't track have that either. on
1: iRacing. I, I want that. that <laughs> iRacing, I can't get that. I've been begging for that. That would be helpful. <laughs> oh,
2: that would be nice, yeah. And then, So a question about that. You know, he meant when Tony mentioned, you know, the sim is, is he, you know, he doesn't like the word simulator. Which is fine, but like you being a pilot, and also I think you know you do a lot of teaching in an airplane simulator, correct? That's if I'm right,
1: yeah. yeah.
2: How, I mean, and let's call a spade a spade. I mean, your simulators are multi millions of dollars is in the airline industry. Um, is it really realistic then when you're getting at that level? I mean, versus, you know, my PV, I mean, my PVC rig playing on the PlayStation, probably not very realistic, but how more realistic is when you spend that
1: kind of money is your simulator on, on for the airline industry. Is it like identical? Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. There's, that's an interesting conversation, I suppose. Yeah. It, uh, it's very good. We at my company we just switched to their electric driven uh hydraulics. So the the pistons are all electric, so it's real quiet. It used to be hydraulic and now they're electric. Uh there has to still be I'm assuming there's still well I don't I don't actually I don't even know how they do they're all electric driven servo or not servos, but pistons before. Now they're electric. Much more quiet, but they seem just as fast. And yeah, I mean, because you're getting that motion. I mean, these these are obviously big. You can fit, uh, you know, two full. Uh, I don't know, probably twenty people in one of them. They're they're pretty big. So, and the front of and the 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 motion is fantastic. The visuals are fantastic. Visual cues. So, I mean, everything works. So, the first time, generally speaking, the first time an airline pilot lands an airplane, they've only landed in a simulator. And the first time they're doing that, they're, they have people on the airplane and the simulators are so good that they can do, certainly go out and land, land an airplane, you know, wow. safely and competently simply by training in the simulator. So. Yeah. Cause I
2: guess this, my point being is, so, you know, mine, the PVC rig, which is like a hundred dollars, you know, and as we progress up, it does, I mean, the money that you spend in the simulator it correlates probably as the more money we spend the more realistic i mean i just saw a video of a guy actually flipping
1: his simulator at home yeah, while that. he was, I while he was driving. yeah i guess I, I guess that's true now now here's the interesting where i was going to go w- with the simulator history so when i was an f16 pilot when we went in when we were in pilot training we had uh, simulators and they had full motion and when i got to f16 training they didn't have any motion at all And so my question was, why is there no motion? And they go, well, we didn't find any benefit of adding motion to the simulator. So, but when you get in the F-16 simulator that you pulled a canopy over your head, and so you were, it was completely black in there. You had pretty good, you didn't have 360 degrees of of view, but just pretty good. But then your G-suit's, you know, working, you know, it, it, It really was pretty realistic, and I I probably agreed you didn't probably need motion at that point, but you can't see anything else. Yeah. You can't see anything else. And I know, you know, we just added three screens on my simulator, and we keep our screens pretty close, about 20 inches away from where we sit. Sure. I don't really see the side ones. I was, I mean, I really, I'm, the jury's still out on if I think the side, two side screens are important for me. I mean, obviously some people, most people like it that way. I'm, I'm jury still out for me on, on that one, but.
2: Okay. So let's go talk one more, a little bit, a couple other things that he brought up. Um, the, the, the purchasing of the car without seeing it, I, I found super interesting, um, in regards to getting it in and out of the car, you know, right? you know, when you go, right? You, I mean, you think about it when you go out and you buy, let's just say a great example is, is your Cayman that you purchased. I think you bought that in Ohio, if I remember correctly. I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean you can you, you know you know what getting in and out of a Porsche Cayman is like because they you know and you're looking more at the the carfax on that than the but buying a car you know buying a race car down in Florida you know who knows if you're going to be able to get out of that roll cage quick enough and I think I think there's some really valid points to you know trying to keep you know looking at your purchases or at least, you know, going out to look at that car to make sure you can get in and out of it comfortably, quickly, safely. Um, and, and, you know, meeting with those, you know, different, you know, like George at Eurosport and, you know, the guys up at, what is Advanced Motorsports up in Wisconsin? Yeah. you know, yeah. You know, meeting with those guys and, and really looking at cars a little closer to home because, you know, it is safety as well. You know, yeah, you might be getting a great deal, but overall I think, you know, The safety is a little more important
1: than the price. Yeah, you're right. That makes sense to me too. And then, um, what's the last one?
2: Oh, uh, camera and data acquisition. Um, You know, uh, I think I don't know if anyone's ever seen it. I think if you if you want to watch a great camera shot on heel towing, uh, Senna. There's a video of Senna heel towing. Acura NSX. Um, you can look it up on YouTube and it is hands down the quintessential way to learn how to heel toe, uh, a race car. And, <laughs> um, it's amazing. And cause you asked the question, you know, do you want to see the foot pedals and stuff like that? And, you know, how do you place the cameras and everything like that? So, um, you know, cause I was curious, I'm like, how, you know, cause you just bought that new Mustang, And, you know, you don't have a passenger seat for me to ride in. Thank you very much. When's that coming in? Um, (laughs) Because you're surely not going to trust me driving it. (laughs) But to have that camera available for him uh, to ride in the car with you, per se, I I think that was a really cool, cool idea. Um, And I didn't know that they, they could, you know, that that's the way they do it for a single seat car like yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. Those are I, I I hadn't thought about that either, and I don't know. Uh, I still haven't got that that new car all up and running, and or put a GoPro in the Miata for my Sunday. I haven't done either one of those, and I, obviously after this podcast, that's something that's going to be implemented pretty quickly for you know the coaches to take a look at what's going on every time so even if something happens they don't necessarily have to ride with him all the time but if something happens he can come back and say hey what did i do wrong here why did i why did i flip the car s-? no we're not gonna <laughs> why did i run off the track here why didn't why am i not yeah. getting a good why do i not feel good about this turn or something yeah and i think you're gonna have to go to alibaba and buy your gopros because you're gonna need like 50 of them <laughs>
2: And that's right. the only place you can, you, know, like you can get a discount on, like, mass quantities because you're going to put them on all the go-karts. You're going to put them in the Cayman, your your Mustang, your Miata. I mean, you, you've got a lot of GoPros to put in. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I think it's going to be a good – I think, you know, I'm excited for the season to start. And, you know, we'll see where this goes. You know, the, the sun's starting to break. The governor's starting to loosen up a teensy bit, which, you know – we'll see how that progresses and, um, we'll definitely keep our fingers crossed for, you know, an exciting, uh, jam packed, I'm assuming jam packed season for 2020. Cause you know, we've lost about a month and a half. So, uh, we're going to catch up on those. And, and, uh, I know that the guys are, are diligently working over there and, and putting things together for us to have a, a real entertaining 2020.
1: Yeah. I agree. Yeah, we're we're super excited. We're chomping at the bit to to get on the racetrack. We can't wait. Well, yeah, well, well, thank you very much. Jo-
2: I think it's a great show. Uh, I, I look forward to the next one. What what are we th- talking about for the, our our upcoming? What, cu- give us a little uh, foresight of the next couple shows coming.
1: Well, uh, at, at some point we're gonna have a show on the uh, the members meeting wherever that. Whenever that gets gets scheduled, yeah, we do have a two part show with the legend Bobby Ray Hall. Oh. that'll be coming up uh, here probably next month. We hope. You tease. On, you uh, tease. Yeah, two parts, and it, it goes. It's it's really in depth, and it goes all the way back to you know where he grew up and how he got involved when and all the racing including the how i got involved in the club it's pretty cool it's pretty cool awesome well good deal well thanks for uh, putting this
2: together i look forward to speaking to you in a couple uh well hopefully you know i'll speak to you probably tomorrow but uh <laughs> more on the podcasts I, I look forward to speaking to you and, and you know producing with you and working this all out and uh, making it happen
1: all right sounds great thanks for being on the show and uh, and uh, i appreciate you coming along for the ride well
2: oh. Always love love when I go for the ride with you, man. Love it.
1: <laughs> All, right. <laughs> Bye. All right. Cool.
0: You've been listening to Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybill, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club.
1: Join us next time for Autobahn Country Club Podcast.